Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, we know the personal impact of this pandemic is going to be negligible for some and catastrophic for others. The worst hit, financially speaking, will be those people who are unable to work and aren't getting the support they need, who then find their industry is decimated and the impact could last the rest of their lives. The upshot, widening income disparity. Yet governments and central banks are doing quite a bit to try and protect people and their economies. But who's got it right and who's messed up? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Okay, Steve, well, there have been a few different approaches, uh, and we've talked about this in, in recent weeks. Uh, but stimul- government stimulus is going to be, I feel, is going to be around for quite a while, isn't it? It's not like the, the you know, that it, it, everything's everyone's going to go back to work and economies are going to recover, and this mysterious V-shaped recovery that people have, uh, have uh, talked about, some of them with a serious look on their face, mm-hmm. we're not going to see that, and the, 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 there's going to be need uh, for more and more stimulus to, to see us through the rest of this year and perhaps into next year as well. Well, probably there is going to be that need, but I've got a feeling that we're going to see governments deciding we're out of the woods and let's go back to our previous um, austerity-driven behaviour and pull away those supports. Mm. We're seeing that in Australia already. What do they call this scheme? The jobs job, job keeper scheme or the job? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, job keeper. And, and now, and this is the classic, is the uh, the home builder scheme. Okay. So and this is uh, which gets back to your favorite topic about yeah you know Australia's obsession with housing. Mm. So if you are a homeowner in Australia, you can get a uh, apply for a grant up to fifty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars to build or renovate properties. And uh, so they're spending four billion dollars on a trade, basically a, a tradie rescue package. Got to look after the tradies. Uh, so fifty thousand grant to all purchasers of newly constructed dwellings or. If you're adding value to your existing home. Mm-hmm. So that is a great scheme for helping those people who've already got the money to be able to afford to buy a new house or can afford. To, I think you have to spend something like uh, 150,000 or 200,000 on your on your on the improvement to your house. So it's, it's giving money to people with money. Basically, those but, people but, who but, rent yep. get nothing. But, but actually crazy. It isn't just that, like that, the, the punchline thing with the fact that to get the fifty thousand, you've got to borrow another hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. the government grant is actually encouraging you to borrow money from banks, which of course is one thing Australians should really be doing because they're only number two in the world in terms of indebted households, and they've really got to get that number one <laughs> position. You know. Not- and what a time to do that! What a time to borrow more money when uh, when yeah. the economy is really struggling. Which is yeah. why I actually got that particular, that particular scheme might fall on its face, which would not be a bad thing, of course. But what it means is the money which would have otherwise government money being created to boost the economy again, that fifty thousand won't be multiplied by enough homeowners to make much of a difference. So it could be one of those you know damn squib stimulus packages. But you mean no one's going uh, but- no one's going to apply for it because they can't get the, they can't get the loan, or they don't want to take out the loan. Yeah, right the, now. The, the ones the ones who will take it out are going to be a dramatic minority of the economy. Whereas in the past, the schemes like the first time owners scheme 
first-time buyer. Are they, are they call it the first-time buyer's grant. I've always called it the first-time vendor's grant because mm. it, you give a, you know, 10,000 to the person buying the home and they leave it up by a factor of 10 and give you 100,000. So it gives the person selling the home uh, a 10 times boost over what they would have got without, uh, without the government's intervention. But with this one, um, it, it's such a, a you know, like it's such a minority of people can undertake it. Whereas with the first time owners schemes, it's always been a large, you know, the, the, the people who aren't yet into there, who are desperate to get a house, who are the ones who are going to go and, you know, try to fudge the numbers to take on the very first debt they've taken on after their student debt. Um, but this one, um, I think is only going to be a tiny minority of existing homeowners. I think it's worth, worth the cost. Why should you drive yet- the house by $200,000? I'm looking at the Australian newspaper, which obviously is the the font of all truth, mm. uh, and uh, they say it's going to create fifty eight thousand three hundred and eleven new. The well, they're precise fifty eight thousand three hundred and eleven new jobs for tradies. This this scheme is going to create. And yeah, I'm looking at the ABS data for March, which shows construction jobs are down six percent. Actually, one of the least affected sectors. So, if you were to look at a sector where you say, "Okay, it's all about jobs," which one would you pick? I think I'd be picking education, hospitality, and uh, and travel, and uh, not tradies, because they actually fared this uh, this crisis better than most. And yet, uh, the Australian government seems to say, if it's for jobs, that's their focus. But it, obviously, it isn't just jobs, is it? It is a, about it's elevating keep, house, keep prices, house price, but it's, not, it's not. But it's not going to do that, is it? I mean, if you. Um, well, I, th- I think the market's going to get the Australian. Like, let's get off the Australian housing market and talk about other similar packages yeah. in a moment. But uh, I think the Australian market's going to do very nicely out of China, uh, in the sense that China's buyers are no longer going to look at uh, Vancouver anymore because Vancouver is you know full of vi- uh, where the virus lives, uh, whereas mm. China is free and Australia is free. So you don't need to worry about pumping up the Australian market. I think it'll happen courtesy of Chinese buyers. But in terms of a stimulus package, which is a bit of a joke, it's definitely one of those. What else you got? Well, no, just on this, just before we move off this, I, 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 a cynical journalist friend of mine. And oh, no such right. things. He's, Actually, these days, know, it's there, hard there, to believe. There, there, there aren't enough of them, but, frankly. <laughs> I mean, they're really gullible these days, but still, yeah. Uh, a guy called Paul, who actually I think listens to this podcast as well. Yeah. Um, Hello, I won't Paul. give a surname, but he, he Paul's argument is that oh yeah, it's it's money for the tradies ultimately. Uh, at least so the tradies think that the government is behind them. But if more money goes into into uh, the construction and the and the, and the individual tradies as well, so doing sort of like those home renovations is going to keep all those home renovation companies afloat companies supplying them as well mm. and they are the biggest advertisers in the daily telegraph so actually it's a uh, and the daily telegraph pretty much toes it's a murdoch paper which pretty much toes the government line so so his argument the government is, what line to toe yeah yeah well, exactly so he so his argument was well it's it's pretty much propping up the daily telegraph uh, advertisers so that uh, the daily telegraph can survive through all of this so actually it's a grant to murdoch rather than to the, to the housing sector if you look at it that way okay that makes other, plenty of sense yep <laughs> it does well or you know just a, just an unfortunate well, he's, he's down to his last couple of billion isn't he he's struggling isn't he absolutely he's struggling, well, yeah. and, and, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and if it comes to propping up uh, Australian newspapers they've all been making a loss anyway and Foxtel so but they're all still there for some reason so uh, he should just bail out of Australia altogether I would have thought now look the, the other schemes are uh, obviously the furloughing workers schemes uh, that's yeah was sensible approach it's all that is all about bridging the gap isn't it so that you stay attached i mean if you're trying to get money out out to people quickly 
then there's one of two ways, isn't there? One is you just put the money into people's bank accounts. The other one is that mm-hmm. you put it put it into the uh, into the into the payroll of the the company that normally pays you. Supposedly, that's a rapid distribution mechanism. I think that's why it's being picked up by by so many countries. It's a quick way to get cash into people's hands. And with the furloughing scheme, then you keep that relationship with the company as well. The problem is, how do you back out of it? And that's the danger, isn't it? We're going to see. So in the UK, they've paid 80 percent of your salary. They're going to drop it down to 60. But then they're going to want the companies to pay 20 percent of that 60 percent, if you see what I mean, Well, or 40 They'll pay forty, and they pay twenty to give you sixty percent mm. of your of your salary. So you're actually getting less bit by bit, and the the companies are paying more. We're going. Reality is going to strike at some point, isn't it? Where companies are saying, "Well, the only people we're, reason we're keeping these people on was because the government was paying. Now we've got to pay more. We're we're, we're going to get rid of them." And that's when we start to see the real unemployment numbers. I think it's it's a bit it's a scare because I mean the the extent to which governments have pumped money into the economy during this downturn has been good. Uh, it, it, it's usual that they do the right thing when they're panicking. Trouble when they start to relax, they do the wrong thing again. They go back to believing austerity is necessary and so on. So I can think these schemes being cut out before they should be cut out. And frankly, we haven't got over the virus anyway, particularly in places like the UK and the Europe and America. So I've got a feeling that attempt to pull these schemes out will be premature. We'll see a fall in employment again, uh, a pushback potentially into more uh, uh, quarantine once more and more another lockdown at, at some point because the lockdowns that were done particularly by the UK and America have been pathetic compared to what a lockdown should do. Uh, so the virus is going to come back and then bang will be pushed back into the same situation again. So I, I, I see this being a continuous struggle uh, of you know pulling out too early um, causing a downturn and a resurgence in the virus and going back into the same process again. Well, yeah, and yet yeah, most governments are saying, I think the UK has said it, I think Rishi in the UK has said it, and I think uh, Donald Trump said it in the US, that there won't be, you know, we're not coming back. If there's, a, if there's a second wave, we're not going back to this level of stimulus again. This is a, a once-only offer. Now, whether that's a threat to tell people, you know, you've got to socially distance or whether they're just saying, no, we're really concerned about the, the level of government debt that we're, we're racking up. But it, I... I I can't see it continuing for for months on end. Can you? Um, I can see them always again pulling out too early, and and this mm. is what I'm I'm worried about seeing. Uh, and in the process behind it, what's going to happen in the background of all this is that the level of financial fragility of corporations and individuals are going to get worse. So at some point, we're going to see a, a, a collapse in people's capacity to pay their mortgages. Uh, outside Australia, which I think will manage to continue its its bubble going again, uh, you know, a crash in the in the housing markets because of mortgagee sales uh, and and also landlords being unable to finance their their investments. That in Australia could be a double whammy in the opposite direction because so many landlords deliberately lose money uh, through the negative gearing scheme. This could get worse again. And I with, I am seeing just as I'm seeing an increase in uh, excess reserves, which means the Fed is pumping money into the economy, I'm seeing a dramatic increase in corporate debt as well, which to me implies the corporations are being forced to borrow uh, to cover their own ca- cash flow shortfalls. And this is going to make them more fragile. My favourite data series then again from the um, from the Fred is, uh, this is nice, Totsi, T-O-T-C-I, 
uh, yeah. all commercial banks, commercial industrial loans. That has just gone skyward from of the order of, of uh, 2.4 trillion before the crisis hit to 3 trillion uh, in middle of May. That's just in a, in a, in a two month period. Yeah, and so again, a lot of that is, is government grants, isn't it? But on top of that, you've also got loans that are available, sort of like the favorable loan terms so that small businesses can supposedly loan their way through this and uh, still have to pay it back, of course, at the end. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's possible, but they're, they're going to find themselves again needing to bail the corporate sector out more than they expect. Yeah. So, um, you know. And how are they going to do that? And you know, the, the, this is the same corporate sector that we were talking about last week, the same corporate sector that's seeing their share prices at all time highs. Yeah, um, but yeah, their the, the the, the share price at all times high and their debt levels at all time high as well. But the high on the debt is actually much, much more dramatic than the high on the shares. And of course, the high price of shares does nothing for the revenue of the company itself because they don't get the, the, the share price only affects the, the revenue of the company if they're selling new shares, which yeah. is as we're saying they haven't been doing. So bizarre, though, that people will invest in companies that have got high debt because they have a, a greater risk of, of collapse. I mean, so we are going to see corporate collapses through this debt, presumably, at some point. I've seen some already, things like Hertz collapsing. And of course, it's yeah. obvious airlines are going to, a lot of them are going to collapse as well. So there's all sorts of, of future falls coming our way. Um, but uh, again, I think because this level of financial fragility is something that isn't even on the minds of the people making the decisions about whether we should have stimulus or not. They're going to pull uh, these uh, supports out without realising what it's going to do to the fragility of corporations and individuals in massive amounts of debt. And this well, this is a bit like, was, was it Lerman Brothers they decided not to rescue back in 2008? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Teach well, they the didn't realise... Yeah. yeah, let's let them go down. Who cares about them anyway? In fact, that was the company that had cornered the commercial paper market in America, which is the way that most corporations raise the money to pay their wages. So mm. they suddenly, really, having made the decision, it doesn't matter if we let it fail. Holy shit, if it fails in two weeks' time, uh, General Motors won't be able to pay wages anymore. So they dive back in in the other direction. So I expect lots of mistakes like that to be made. Yeah, and they are talking about folding stuff back. So, uh, for example, they've uh, in in America they've increased unemployment benefit. It's normally around two hundred and fifty dollars a week. They increased it to six hundred dollars per week because there's a whole load of people who are unemployed because everybody's on it you know so many people are unemployed it's not because they're lazy and they're not looking for work that's the implication of that isn't it the unemployment level is 250 dollars because there's got to be that incentive for you to to get more work but because you can't find more work because there's no work around we're going to raise it to 600 dollars because that seems like a a fair amount so that's that's a clear sign from the government saying well okay uh, we're penalizing you with with low unemployment benefit because you're a lazy ass who's not getting off your backside and getting to work uh, once this virus is passed, that $600 is going to go back to 250 And they're already talking about that now, whether they, they believe it's a disincentive to find work and they should, be, they should be taking that back to where it was pretty swiftly. Yeah, and what that means is when you cut income, you cut expenditure. Yeah. Uh, you know, what they're doing is they're going to cut your incomes. Oh, gee, you're going to spend less. Who will that affect? The corporation you'd normally buy goods and services off. So they wanted one, I remember to a talk on Max and Stacey's show recently. And it was just after a set of figures came out that there would be a 10% increase in the income level of the average American because that, that change from 250 a week to 600. Mm. Was it 600 a week? Uh, yeah. meant they were being paid more than they were being paid in the, in the jobs they had because the wages are so poor, most jobs are paying a, you know, a, a, a below poverty level wage, suddenly the unemployment benefits were better than they were being paid for their, for their minimum wage jobs. So it actually boosted incomes. Now, of course, 
if they go in the opposite direction and cut it back to 200 from 250 from 600, that's a huge fall in the income and a huge fall in the expenditure, which will affect the corporations and drive their profits down and make them more financially but fragile that, as they well. Because yeah, yeah. companies will say, well, we need you to do your minimum wage or below minimum wage jobs. Uh, that's how we've managed to survive so far. So bring those, bring that, bring that down. We need them to get back to uh, struggling to make a living. That's uh, mm, that's mm. obviously they say on top of that. And here's the interesting thing that the difference between the furloughing scheme that, that, that's been used in, in Australia and uh, Europe and the UK versus the US, where they have a very high unemployment number because they didn't have that furloughing scheme, but they just paid money direct into uh, into people's bank accounts. Which is the mm. better one? The, the American one, the, it wasn't enough. I mean, it was 130 million Americans had a direct deposit by the IRS into their a stimulus check, $1,200 each, So if you've and 500 per child. So uh, what's that, 2400 uh, 3400 for a couple with two kids. And there's possibly another one on the way as well. So that's quite a, quite a boost, but not enough for you to get through many months' worth if you haven't got, if you haven't got any work. Versus the idea in other countries where, in, like in the UK, for example, you get 80% of your normal income up to pretty much an average income. <laughs> so if you're on a very well-paid job, you're going to be stuck for cash, which is the better scheme. The American one I, is simpler, isn't it? I, I like, I prefer the American in the sense it gets the money in there immediately. And what you're trying to do is support spending and make it possible for people to meet their financial commitments, even when their incomes have plunged because of something like the coronavirus that nobody could have. No, well, nobody at the individual level can plan for. At the collective level, we should have planned for it. We didn't. We're paying the price there. But you can't penalise individuals for not being ready for a systemic crisis like the uh, coronavirus. So I prefer the American scheme on that front. The, the, but I wish it had the legs, the lifespan of the British scheme. Yeah. Well, I'd, but the British scheme is complicated. And that's that's been uh, and, and was slow to roll out. So the it's easy to pay eighty percent of the of the salary for someone who's employed by a company, and for companies to apply for that and then get the money and then pay it on to their workers. It's harder for self-employed. Mm. So what they've done for self-employed is said, well, okay, we'll pay you uh, up to two thousand five hundred pounds per month based on eighty percent of the profit that you've made as a company over the last few years. Now, you need to have been a company for the last few years. If you've been a company for two years, then forget it. You, you, you're you on your own. Uh, but mm. uh, but also, it's 80% profit. So if you are somebody who has uh, a, a lot of ongoing outgoings, like, for example, say you hold a taxi license that you've got to keep paying for, you're going to have to pay for mm. that out of your own cash. That's not part of your profit. So you've still got to pay that, and you're only getting the mm. same handout. So you're, you're worse off than someone who's not paying that taxi license, if you, if you see what I mean. So it's a, you yeah, create yeah. all sorts of complexity like that where people look and go, well, that's unfair. And I know lots of people who are self-employed are really struggling now because they're not getting the, uh, the the money they need because of the way this, you know, there's always exclusions. And other people uh, who don't really need the cash are getting it. So it's 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 better to treat everyone the same almost, isn't it, really? I do, and that's the American scheme has got that, that uh, in its favour. And that's, again, we're getting all those experiments of things which you said were impossible like a universal basic income, which is what this amounts yeah. to. So it's quite feasible to do it. It can, it can and, the, and the more, the simpler it is, the better. And that's why I think the American scheme is a good model. I would like to see central bank digital currencies used the same way. Uh, but of course, um, uh, that, you know, we, we still haven't got the structure in place for those. But something that lets you put cash immediately into people's hands is the sort of thing you need to counter a, a crisis, a downturn like the coronavirus, which, you know, 
if you leave it to capitalism on its own without any government supports, there would be no capitalism left after this. Everybody would have gone unable to pay their rents and pay their mortgages. The banks would have failed. It would have been total chaos. This is one of those classic cases where we need the government, but the government itself is being hamstrung in what it's doing by believing in a market ideology. So if we missed an opportunity here, would this have been a great opportunity to say in lots of countries, this is an interesting experiment in, uh, in having some sort of universal basic income? Yeah, I think it was some countries will continue looking at that way. It's actually quite possible Spain will keep going in that, in that direction. They're hamstrung by the Maastricht Treaty. But mm. I've seen already places like the um, Institute for Public Affairs, some of those right-wing think tanks coming out saying, oh, I've got a huge amount of extra debt for the future generations. We must now start imposing austerity again. I oh, know a great idea. Let's shut down hospitals. Let's sack nurses. That'll work really well. It worked well last time. Mm. Um, you know, same sort of insanity of thinking the government has to save something it can create uh, by uh, by double entry bookkeeping uh, rather than rather than realizing the real nature of money. So we're still hamstrung by the stupidity that modern monetary theory is being trying to overturn. So Mark Cuban is a uh, a billionaire investor in the United States who says that uh, PPP, which is their equivalent of the, uh, the the self employed the Paycheck Protection Program, which is basically a a loan scheme for small businesses. So the loan is forgiven if all the funds are used for payroll costs and interest on mortgages, rent and utilities. So you get a loan, and if, if you're shown that you're using it basically to uh, to, to pay salaries, to, to keep your company through, then then basically that loan is written off. He's saying that's not working, though. That, that is too complicated. Uh, time for trickle-up economics. Focus on creating jobs. This is coming from a billionaire investor. He tweeted, we need a transitional Fed mm-hmm. program, a jobs program, that trains and hires millions for a federal tracking, tracing, testing program. In other words, you know... Uh, getting us through what we need right now, creating jobs that we need right now. So we create a uh, a, a dent on the, 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 the unemployment numbers. But then we need a, an interim spending stimulus program. The money that you're, you're putting out to people, and I think you'll like this idea, that if they are going to give an, another slug of money into people's bank accounts, then it should expire within 10 days so that you are increasing the velocity of the spending as well as the the, the volume of the spending. Okay. So that's a pr- Ten days is pretty fast, but that, that's actually a bit like a zillion money. So if you don't spend it, you haven't got yeah. it. And you could do that. You Which could, is actually you, you could create, you issue cards to people. That would be the practical way to do it, wouldn't it? You'd say, okay, here's a, here's a debit card. You, <laughs> it runs out in 10 days, so you better get out there and use it. Stick it in the post and give it to everybody. That would, that would then, then you'd actually speed up the, the spending and you would aid the speed of the recovery. I think that's smart. Yeah, it's 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 something you wouldn't expect to come from an American billionaire, apart from Nick Hanur. So um, it's good to see it happening. Whether it actually takes place, not another story. But we are considering things we would never have considered uh, during the coronavirus, and in that sense, it's as 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 disastrous as it is, particularly for America and the UK. It's a useful trial run as to what we need to have in place. Uh, as we face further ecological crises in the next ten years, but could that be a a, a way of looking at uh, you know the the idea of universal basic income as well? So, but, I, it's it's always seen as uh, as an invasion of people's privacy or right to choose. That if you if you give money to people for welfare, you know this idea, and it's been talked about in Australia numerous times, doesn't it? Well, we'll give you welfare, but you're going to give you a card that can only be used in various shops, so you can't use it on booze or gambling. So we're going to tr- control your behaviour. Um, but I mean, rather than that, if you actually said to people, well, we don't care how you spend it, but we are going to give you universal basic income. It's going to be a card or, or welfare payments. We're going to give you a card 
and you do have to spend it quickly so that uh, so it doesn't go on uh, it doesn't go on savings it does get money pumped into the economy the downside is it goes against your uh, paying off debt idea it's not it's not a debt jubilee answer it's a, it's a separate thing to that um, but this would be a, a a good addition to the universal basic income idea wouldn't it it's a useful addition. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking more and more about the, the fact that money has contradictory purposes to it. If you think you talk about the, the idea of being in a unit of account, well, that's obviously vital. Uh, a store of value and a means of payment. Confusing those two with a store of value obsession, you get money, money hoarding, you get a slowdown in the rate of turnover and circulation of money, and you get, uh, you, know, you know, things like the Great Depression being part of the ph- phenomenon of people not being willing to spend the money. They want to hang on to it to pay their debts and to, uh, as a buffer. And that actually goes directly to, to reducing income, which is Keynes's idea of the, the paradox of thrift. Uh, but money that depreciates, which is what inflation itself mm. does, actually encourages you to spend because if you hang on to it, it declines in value. And that was Gazelle's idea, which was done so well in the town of Wargall during the second, during the Great Depression, uh, as a way of stimulating spending. So we, if we were designing a money system from the ground up, we would make it something which had an expiry uh, concept to it. And we're now getting these ideas being considered during the coronavirus, which uh, you know, is, is, is again, is one of the powerful side effects of, of the crisis itself, this consideration of ideas which wouldn't get listened to otherwise. Yeah, but I wonder if they are being listened to. I, I, I do wonder whether we are going to go back to behaving just the way we were before and we, we landed with massive debt and everyone's very concerned about how we're going to pay it off and uh, and, and we choose uh, and conservative governments to, to make that happen. So that's, what about- the, that's, that's what I'm seeing as the discussion right now, yeah. And the what about all these companies asking for bailouts right now? So, so should we should governments be bailing out airlines and car companies? So, for example, Jaguar Land Rover wants uh, a one billion pound bailout package. Interestingly, they're owned by Tata Motors, which is Indian. So, why would the UK government be bailing out an Indian motor company? I wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I think it's it'll the be same, It's the same with airlines. You know, there's a mix of yeah. different nationalities. So if you are going to bail... So first of all, who, sh- who should bail them out? And secondly, should, should they be bailed out? Or should they just be allowed to fail on the basis that uh, someone will buy their assets and start them up again? Well, I don't think they will. I mean, this is one of the mm. problems with an airline at the moment... Uh, we we have no idea of what air, how how air traffic demand is going to recover, but the odds are there'll be a drastic fall in airline uh, in demand for airlines, and it may be impossible to have a viable airline uh, as we had in the past with the level of mass transportation. We so no point in bailing them out then. I know, I think well you don't you don't want a cascade of, of failures to go through the whole financial system. If they fail, the you know, the workers that have jobs with them also fail potentially can't pay their, their their outgoings. The banks that lend to them also fail. You get a breakdown. You don't want to have a breakdown of the financial system while you're having a breakdown in the health system. Mm. And I would rather institute, I would rather insulate it. Uh, I'd also, it'd be, like, it'd be feasible to say, well, we're, we're going to rescue you, but we want, uh, you know, a position on the board. Uh, and, that, we want you to do, of, and we want you to run a different business. I mean, if, if there's if there's a, a a whole load of different airlines that are that are operating, I mean, you almost need a transition plan. If we don't need as many airlines, so the guy who lives next door to me uh, runs a, a company that rents out uh, equipment for uh, for builders, so for for uh, you know diggers and all that sort of stuff. Uh, mm. They had a, a big fall in in demand in March this year, uh, and they took out a contract to build hospital beds. 
uh, for all these new hospitals. So all of a sudden, the whole business changed from renting out uh, renting out equipment and machinery to actually making stuff, to, to making beds. They turned it around in a, in a few weeks. They got the contract, and he said, "Oh, we've made about five thousand beds." Uh, from you know, so companies can <laughs> retool quite significantly. And there's lots of cases of that. So airlines, mm. perhaps, if if they want to survive, they need to not be an airline anymore. And maybe there needs to be some sort of transition program to to enable right. industries to change because you can't keep all the airlines available with all the capacity and all the turnover if there's only one third of the demand. Yeah, and that's what is, is, is scary about the future in general because uh, demand for a whole lot of things is unlikely to recover. Certainly air travel is probably the most extreme example there, the whole tourist industry, uh, yeah. all these areas. And you, you, you think is... Do you want them to fail gracelessly or gracefully? I think is probably the, the basic way to put it. And if you just let the collapse go through right now, uh, then their collapse causes a chain reaction of other collapses, and that can give you, you know, break your entire financial system. But why couldn't you, like my next door yeah. neighbour, why couldn't you go to an airline that's failing, saying, "Well, look, we we will bail you out, but uh, we want you to build. We don't want you to fly aircraft anymore. We want you to do the opposite. We want you to build solar farms." <laughs> because you've got to make so tra- you know transition transition your business. We'll give you the money. We'll give you the, we'll give you the money to get some seed capital to get started on that. Use your expertise within the company. I'm sure you know lots of it's transferable, uh, and uh, you know and, and 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 a catering company as well because you've obviously got uh, lots of people who can serve food. But you know it's. To just look at how you transition it because you can't bail out companies that are not going to be needed anymore. Well, I mean, you've, you're going to have to wear the financial consequence of that in some sense, but the question is, is it better for the state to wear that or the financial system to wear it? And, um, you know, one of the, the great insights from Irving Fisher back in the Great Depression was that if you have a whole bunch of companies which are going bankrupt and which try to respond to that by paying their own debt levels down, because they're paying the debt level down reduces the amount of money in the economy, you can actually have GDP falling faster than they pay their debts and you have a debt deflation. And that's what happened back in 1930 to 32, 33. I don't want to see a repeat of that. So I, again, I can't answer the question with any precision, but I would rather be injecting government money in when the private money system is collapsing and let the private money mm. system collapse and then you know, try to pick up the pieces afterwards. No, and that makes perfect sense. But my point is, if the government money is gone mm. in, it should be gone. It, we should be looking at, uh, and through all of these things, we should be saying, well, okay, mm. if there's people sitting at home who uh, who who can't work, what could they be doing? If there's if there's government money being spent, what could they be doing? Could they, for example, be, I don't know, uh, mowing the lawns uh, in the centre of roundabouts, or could they be putting plants out to make the environment look a, a little bit nicer? What can we all, or could they be doing something to help with the, you know, our, our investment in renewable energy? What could we? And similarly with companies, if companies are saying, well, we, you know, we can't employ people uh, to do what we normally do, uh, and we're getting money from the government, redeploy them to to do something else, which is going to benefit the the economy or the environment and it seems like the, the biggest waste to me if we come out of all of this saying we'll bail down a whole load of airlines so that they can struggle to continue to pollute the planet uh, rather than saying well we came out of this and we made a, a big investment in the other problem that the world faces uh, which is climate change mm-hmm. i mean all this government money and none of it is being spent on on, on improving the environment and yet we've and yet we've and yet we've been very close we've seen how the environment improves 
when we don't use cars and airlines and we feel fresh air and now we're losing it again because everyone's back in their cars mm. wouldn't it be better to try and tackle both pump money into the economy help companies survive while also looking at the next step which is where we go to c- tackle climate change don't know how we do it but it seems like a huge wasted opportunity that we're, we're missing here well I'm, I'm I'll be more I'm, I'm still don't think we're out of the coronavirus crisis it's only America and the UK no way and they're out of the crisis yet so I think we're getting ahead of ourselves to think, okay, we can do two or three, two or three cures for one disease at once. Or, um, I, I would still prefer to not let this cause a collapse in the financial sector, so provide the money to keep these organisations going. But then once, if we do get to the stage of having a, a vaccine and we do actually finally overcome the virus, then get, start looking at, again, government funding to help these firms transition to a different industry. As you say, the airline industry mm. would probably have to fall in size you know, by a factor of two or four, uh, but you want to have some of the skills which are transferable from that industry. You've got a lot of, a lot of good engineers there. Uh, transfer those skills to other, other areas where we need to expand. Um, but it's, you know, none of this is easy. Uh, if we'd done this 50 years ago, we could do a, be talking about a smooth transition, but we're talking about doing it in if we're lucky, doing it in the next 10. And, um, you know... I, and, but is it those big businesses that yeah. are struggling, though? There was... Uh, so Jim Cramer on CNBC was talking the other day. He was saying that we are going through the greatest wealth transfer in history. And he was talking about the fact that uh, big business, depending on their industry, so so airlines are a little bit different, but big big industry, big business is, is going to come out of this relatively unscathed. Some of them have got, you know, can, can, can borrow or operate through through a year you know they've got a, a buffer and if if the if their industry bounces back then then they'll do okay but small businesses are disappearing and we seem to you know in lots of cases we're, we're letting them go or should we be trying to protect them he's saying you know big business and the and the share market as well less affected the the american so we, we, we you talked about uh hertz as being a company that's gone bankrupt it's in, gone into chapter 11 actually of the listed mm. companies in america that's the only one. That's the only that's, one. It's actually gone. That's the only one. So you'd be thinking that companies would be collapsing left, right, and centre. But listed companies so far, uh, that's the only one that's filed for Chapter Eleven in in America. Mm. And yet we will we'll come out the other end of this, and we'll see millions of small businesses will have collapsed. So that's why he's talking about this great wealth yeah, transfer yeah. industry. It's not the large corporations that's the issue. It's it's small business, which obviously is the bread and butter of the you know the real bread and butter of the the economy. And if we lose that, that's the biggest risk we face. No, I'm not seeing, and that's almost like the secondary thought in all of this. So the so the the central banks and governments are looking at the corporate sector and the finance sector, uh, and uh, and the small business. It's just too hard to to deal with unless you just do some sort of universal basic income and say, well, here's a here's a slug of money to keep you going. Mm, yeah. They are so fragile. I mean, if you're a worker working for a large corporation, uh, you've got potential unemployment benefits. You've got the, the corporation's own schemes. If you're the large corporation itself, then you've got your own cash flows and the capacity to lever the government. It is a small business, as you say, that just fall through the, between the chairs. Um, so, so what we learn from all of this, do, we, do, do, do people at the end of it go, well, my learning is I've got to work for companies? Or do we... Or do we operate in a different way to protect small companies? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you, partly this has been because of the, the attempt to uh, 
reduce the cost of a lot of corporations and turn people who were once employees into self-employed contractors. And then you've got an entire army mm. of what they call the gig economy, which you, you and I are in own ways a part of it, um, which can be extremely fragile. And then, of course, you say we, we're not in the... Uh, we're not in the workforce, we're not in the employment section either. So you can just get trampled by this. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's one of those, uh, we, we just don't have the mechanism to, to resolve that beyond things like the UBI, uh, the, the scheme you were talking about, the 80% scheme. Um, yeah, they, it's, I mean, I, I can't see a solution to that. No, there's a lot of learnings coming out of this, isn't um, there? And I don't a lot of loneliness or a lot of learning. A lot of learning. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions about the way we operate, where people are uh, most at risk, and uh, you know, and, and when uh, Jim Cramer is talking about this this uh, this big wealth transfer, I think he's right on that. You know, we are going to find there's a lot of haves and have-nots. The uh, the income divide, not just in America but around the world, is going to be much bigger than it ever was uh, coming out the other side of this, simply because of the industry people worked in and whether they were self-employed or whether they worked for a big corporation that's managed to keep them keep them going. Yeah, and like, again, this is a bit like the, the whole question about focusing on efficiency versus focusing on resilience. Um, the whole idea of pushing people into being self-employed rather than being uh, you know, part of a corporation, uh, outsourcing and so on, it's all meant we have an incredibly fragile system which uh, you know, works very well and the economy is... is, is um, not under stress, but you put things like the coronavirus in, then the stress points are felt by people in those situations, mm. and it's incredibly fragile. And what you often get as well is people who are, um, you know, quite is a tendency for people who are made to be self-employed, but whether they choose to or they turn up that way to be on the right end of the political spectrum, uh, you know, anti-government handed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This comes along and they get smashed. Um, they're likely to say, "Where's my safety net?" So, again, it is going to make us question a lot of our ideology. Yeah, except, of course, those people who you know, have the most to question are going to be the people out on the street selling the big issues, so they're not going to have much influence. So, look, in, in conclusion then, we're going to come out the, the other side of this eventually with far higher government debt that there's going to be this continued belief needs to be repaid, which will somehow come back in austerity, and a bigger income divide than ever before with more people struggling with higher levels of, of personal debt that are going to be more reliant on on state aid that is going to be pulled back because we're trying to pay back this big government debt which hasn't really achieved uh, fully what we'd hope in that it's 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 helped stop some corporate collapses but it's not helped the little guy we're going to be in a bit of a mess aren't we i think we are yeah i'll leave the last word to you on that one phil well, I was just wondering what we're going to learn from all of this. And I, and well, it's a painful process. I mean, we we, we both you know we, we know that the argument the government's got to save money is is wrong headed because people don't understand how money is actually created and the government's capacity to do that. That's partly what landed us in a state of being unprepared before the coronavirus hit. We we're trying to save government money by not yeah. you know not hiring too many nurses, not having too many empty hospital beds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then bang, the pandemic comes along, and we realised what we should have been saving is skills and hospital beds, not bloody pounds. Mm. Um, so we, we, we are unprepared. And I think one thing we're going to learn to come is that we are still unprepared for what's coming our so way. So maybe, the, uh, so let's leave this on a positive note. 
Maybe you win the argument at the end of this. Maybe after we've been through the, the dealing with it and getting out the other side and then we're, we're left to pick up the pieces, maybe there'll be this realisation that austerity isn't the answer. More money is still needed. Something needs to be done. We need to have a look at how money is created. And uh, and we need to also pay off a lot, you know, write off a lot of debt. Maybe that will happen. Maybe that's the only conclusion. It's a possibility, but I know that the conservative think tanks are going to be pushing in the opposite direction right now, and they've, they're the ones who have still got the ears of the politicians. So the odds are we'll go back into austerity again. I, th- I think we've got to go through more pain before we make have any learning, if any real sense. Yeah, but there is hope. So, I mean, you know, Donald Trump doesn't like Fox News anymore. Uh, so that's a, that's a sign that the world's changing. Perhaps you know maybe they've moved a little less far right, uh, and if that you know that, that we've got to take some solace from that. Surely, uh, I'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Steve. Catch you again very soon. Thank okay. you. Okay, mate. Bye. And meanwhile, even as the virus starts to re-establish itself in some places that thought they'd lost it for good, shares continue to rise and people increasingly are going back to work and going back to life as it was. And governments are trying to wind back the amount of money that they are spending on this thing. What happens next? We'll see. That's it for the Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back again soon. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.